Thank you, guys. Friends, let's open it up in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3, this is going to be the last of our post-Easter series on the well-worn paths, the ways that God gives us to know Him and His risen Son better and better. Our final pathway to knowing the resurrected Son of God is mission. What God calls us to do with our Christian lives in ministry. And one of the best places to think about that is in the book of 1 Corinthians in a very familiar passage in chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with wood, gold, silver, precious stones, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, He will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there are parts of this passage that scare me, and there are parts of this passage that uh, confound me by your grace. And I'm sure that's true for all of us. Would you take the things that scare us and use them for godly grief that leads to repentance? And will you take the things that confound us by your grace and fan them all the more so that we can see your mercy and your love and your power in all things? The kingdom doesn't exist in talk but in power. And in the midst of 25 minutes of talking, I pray that we feel and experience your power. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I shared this very passage a week ago with our officers' retreat. We took our elders and deacons away to think about and pray about how God is leading our church. And when I was given this devotional, uh, one of our elders pointed out an illustration of a building that had happened recently in Denver. I don't know if you guys heard about this, but a bank built this huge beautiful glass structure, this skyscraper, and once it was completed, everybody moved in to begin their work, and like within the first week that they were there, the building sank a half an inch while everybody's there at work, just boom, a half an inch, which doesn't feel like a lot, but if you're in the building, that feels like a whole lot. And so everybody left the building, and it took a long time for them to figure out what it was and address the issue and have everybody be able to resume work there. How we build is important. How we build has ramifications for our lives, other people's lives, and eternal life. And our passage is all about the building process. What we build and how we're building that thing. 
We're going to progress with our passage through the foundation, through the building that we're doing, through the testing of what we've produced, and for the glory that's in store for the good buildings that are going to be built in our midst. That's how we're going to follow this passage today. And so we start with the foundation. The only kind of building we're talking about today is verse 11, ministry that is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's the only kind of building we're talking about today. There are other buildings being built in our city and in our community and in our world, and those buildings are built on sand, and those buildings won't last at all, but we're not talking about those buildings today. We're not talking about apostasy, we're not talking about blasphemy, we're not talking about heresy or any of the other E's. The only part of building that we're talking about comes right out of 1 Corinthians 3 and it is built on the foundation of the person and the work of Jesus. That's important to say because as you read this passage and you see about buildings that are going to get burned up at the end of time, I don't want any of us to fall into the trap and say, well, the reason that building was burned is because those people weren't evangelical enough or they weren't reformed enough or God forbid they weren't Presbyterian enough. And because of that, their buildings don't stand, but mine might stand That's not going to fly in this passage because every single person we're talking about who's building is a saved, sanctified, Bible-believing builder. And so this word applies to every single Christian in this room. If you are a Christian, Paul says in verse 9 that we didn't read, you are simultaneously a building and a builder. Every single person is a building. Every single person is a builder. Every single person in our midst does ministry in our midst. And every single person in this church also receives ministry. So we're not deciding if we are one or the other because no one is ever just one of these things. No one's just a builder. No one is totally arrived in their own spiritual life that they don't need to be ministered to and now all they have to offer are gifts to other people because no one in our midst has arrived. No one is a completed building and so we're all simultaneously being built up even as we're called to be builders. Every single person in this room who is a believer in Christ has unique spiritual gifts to offer this body and everyone has a responsibility to do ministry in our church. Ministry is not just the work of the pastor or the paid staff or the officers. If you are a member of this church, you pick up a hammer and you begin the building work. Everyone's a builder Everyone's a building. And the work that's being described here is essentially evangelism and discipleship. That's the work that's getting built on top of the foundation. Now those are loaded words and I don't want you to think of them in a very narrow way. When you hear the word evangelism, I don't want you to think street corner preaching or door-to-door visitation. I want you to know that that's expansive and talking to a non-Christian about Christ comes in a million different ways. 
In the same way, discipleship is not simply uh, meeting with someone for 12 weeks to go through the book of habit of grace. It certainly includes that. But discipleship comes in a million different ways. Whenever we nudge, point, pray for a believer or an unbeliever to take a step towards Christ, we are doing the ministry work that is described in 1 Corinthians 3. If all of that is true, if everybody's a builder and a building, then the main charge of our paragraph, it falls on every single person in this room. Nobody escapes what Paul says in the last line of verse 10 to every one of us. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Christian, take care how you build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. The reason Paul says this is that because what we do or don't do today matters for all eternity in the great and everlasting tomorrow. What you do today matters for the tomorrow with a capital T. Your life matters. Your ministry matters. Your decisions of where you're going to spend your time or where you're going to invest your dollars, they matter. Who you befriend matters. How you think about evangelism and discipleship, it matters because all of it, Paul says, will reverberate forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. What we do today matters for tomorrow. And that really makes that line in verse 10 the greatest understatement I have heard this year. Take care how you build. Take care how you build. That sounds like a first-time mom leaning over her husband in the parking lot in the hospital saying, Honey, take care how you install the car seat for our very firstborn child. (laughs) That's an understatement. If you don't install the car seat correctly, I'm going to strangle you. This is really important. And so Paul says, this matters for eternity, so take care how you build. This is what stands. This is what matters. And the reason Paul is so adamant about this becomes very clear when we switch from the building to talk about the testing that is coming for every single person's building project. Look at the way he talks about testing. He says, everybody's building is going to be tested. It is going to undergo a testing. Our love, our grace, our forgiveness our parenting, our hospitality, our ministry, our scripture reading, the way we enjoy creation, all of it is going to be tested by God on the final day. Now, here's here's a spoiler alert. Next week is Pentecost, where we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to be reminded next week that we can't do anything in and of ourselves. It's only God's Spirit who lives in us. Any ministry that's worth anything that we do in this life is all by the Holy Spirit working in us, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It's all God, and it is all grace. But that's not what Paul is talking about today. 
he's telling us everybody's work is going to be tested. Look at verse 13. And listen to these testing words. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each person has done. Did you hear those four English words in my ESV? Manifest, disclose, reveal, test. This is a fourfold reputation. Repetition that when Jesus returns, he's going to blow the roof off of our Christian lives to see just what they are made of. Now, this is not a test of our salvation. This is not a test to say whether we're saved or not, whether we're going to enter glory or not. We know that because of verse 15. If anyone's work is burned up, He will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, only as through fire. Every Christian who stands on the foundation of Jesus Christ is going to be saved. That's not a question. It doesn't matter what they build. It doesn't matter what they spend their time doing. If you are in Christ and you stand on that foundation, you have repented of your sins and trusted in him alone for salvation, you will be saved. But not everyone standing on the foundation of Christ will be rewarded in quite the same way. Isn't that a shocking statement? I mean... That's a massive statement to the church because all of us are recovering legalists and to hear that there might be different rewards depending on what you do with your time could send our entire church into a tailspin of legalism and self-boasting or else if we don't do these things in a tailspin of despair and it feels like Paul should give us 10 follow-up sermons as caveats so we understand what he means by the fact that some believers are going to get a better reward than other believers. That's what I think he should do. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't give us 10 sermons to follow that up. He drops that massive statement on us and he gives us space for this to sink into our hearts and wrestle with the fact that there are rewards in store for believers who take this thing seriously. So I want us to take this seriously. Christian, hear this this morning. I want you to hear this loud and clear from our passage. It is possible to be a wildly talented Christian with spiritual gifts that are coming out of your ears. You've got most of the gifts and you've got them very well. And it's possible to be that kind of gifted Christian and to be very well versed in scripture and doctrine and theology. And it's possible to be gifted and to be knowledgeable and also to be busy, busy, busy. When you look at your calendar, it's full. It's got lots of activity. It's got people in coming who are going. And you could have all of those things going for you. And when Jesus returns on the last day and puts a match to your life, the entire thing goes up in flames and you walk into heaven with singed eyebrows smelling like a chimney. 
That is possible for every believer in this room. We are not playing games. This is not a joke. Earth is not the waiting room of heaven. We don't have time to piddle with straw. Everybody's work is going to be tested with fire. Every single person's work is going to be tested with fire. I promise you that. Now when I hear that and think about that, I'm scared. And so I want to stop and pray right now. And I want you to to invite you to pray with me. Let's do that. Father, these are heavy, heavy words. And they make me scared because I look at my life and to me I see more straw than silver. And if I'm going to do this in my own strength, I think that's all my life will ever be. It's only going to be straw. And it's not going to be silver. Will you wake me up? Will you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Will you change me? Will you change us to lead lives that take care how we build, that are worthy of the gospel calling that you've given us? I pray that over myself and my family and my church. In Jesus' name, amen. Those are heavy words. Don't. Run away from them too quickly. Let them linger. Let them echo. Let them impact your mind and your heart. Because these are very serious things that Paul is saying to the church. But no sooner does he say them and he gives us this warning, than he also turns and tempts us with the glory that is in store for the believer that he is working in our midst. I want to close by talking about glory. Look at what Paul says in verse 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Did you catch that? If you are building rightly in the spirit, that kind of believer is going to receive a reward, which begs the question, what is Paul talking about? We already have heaven. We already have the glory of God. We already know that every single one of us will not weep again or be hurt again in heaven. What could Paul possibly mean that God is going to add something to that as our reward as believers who follow in his footsteps? And so I want to highlight just a couple of parallel passages. They don't use the reward, but Paul speaks about them as to what he will gain when he goes to heaven because of the work that God has given him. The first parallel passage is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14. Paul says this to the same church he's writing to now. On the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us and we will boast of you. Can you imagine when God splits the heavens and returns and we fall on our faces and it is all God and it is all grace? Paul says there's actually room on that day 
for me to boast of the people who ministered to me and for them to boast of the ministry that I've done for them. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? What could I possibly boast in when Jesus returns? Is it not you, church of Thessalonica? For you are our glory and our joy. Paul says it again in Philippians 4.1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. So reward, joy, boasting, hope, crown, glory is what? According to the Apostle Paul, it's the people that God has used me to point towards himself. Those people are my joy and my boasting and my crown. If you will link arms with us, if you make this body your church body, you join us, you labor with us, Paul is saying that when Jesus returns on that final day, we will say, just as what Paul said to the church in Corinth, and they responded, On the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will boast of us and we will boast of you. You members of this church, you will boast in the ministry that you've had to the leadership of this church, our elders and our deacons. And elders and deacons, you will boast of the ministry that you have had in this church. Isn't that a grace from God that he offers that in addition to the glory of heaven, you will have an extra means of boasting. It will be mutual boasting between us. Now, I want to tease this out just a little bit further and and close with a vision of heaven, if this is true. I'm always wondering about the details of heaven. I'm always wondering what it's like, what we'll do, who we'll know, who we'll interact with when we get there. And one of the main questions we all have is, what's my relationship with my friends and family going to be like, right? Because at every funeral we say, I'm going to see you again, I'll see this person again. And we kind of take for granted that we're going to be surrounded by millions of people and we'll actually find the friends that we think we might see there. I think about that as friendships, but I really think that about families because Jesus went out of his way to tell us that marriage is temporary. It's like this little parable that happens on earth between a husband and wife that is going to show us the eternal marriage. And when we get to the eternal marriage, these earthly marriages will cease And that great eternal marriage will go on forever and ever. And that begs the question, will I even bump into my spouse in heaven? Have you ever thought that or wondered that question? Like when I get deposited into the scene in Revelation and I see an innumerable amount of saints from every tribe and tongue and nation, who am I going to be sitting with? Who am I going to be near? Who am I going to bump into? Who will I see? Will I even see and recognize my wife, Julie? Is she going to be there at all? And then I started to wonder, what if, you know, when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, and I'm playing ultimate frisbee, 
with some folks from Tunisia and Indonesia and Afghanistan where our missionaries are being sent. And we're having a great time and I see this girl walk by and I think, I recognize her. And I pull her aside and say, are you Julie? I mean, did we like, you know, were we married on earth? <laughs> like, uh, and she's like, I do recognize you. And I think we were. And I say, man, did, didn't we have like two or three kids? And she said, four. Oh, yeah, we have four kids. And I'm like, have you seen any of them? And she said, yeah, I saw our youngest a couple thousand years ago. And I, I say, was he with the alligators? And she said, yeah, he was totally with the alligators. And I say, cool, it was great to catch up with you. Uh, you want to play frisbee with us? And she says, no. And I say, you know, you never did support me in my hobbies. And <laughs> she says, we're not going to start that here. And I say, you're right. We're not going to start that there. That's awesome. All right. I'll see you later. See you. That's how I began to wonder if heaven is like. Will we know these people? Will we see these people? Will we interact with these people? And I worried about that until I got to this passage and the parallel passages that I just read. And now I think that vision is dead wrong. I believe my wife will spot me straight away in heaven because I am her glory and her crown. Nobody in this room will ever know the strength and the grace It took her to drag me to heaven in one piece. Nobody's going to know the prayers that she's prayed. Nobody's going to know the scripture that she's quoted. Nobody's going to know the courage it took to rebuke me. Nobody's going to know when she submitted to me, even when I was dead wrong. Nobody's going to know the times that she was the first in our marriage to repent and to confess her sin. Nobody sees that. Only God. And it is gold. And when Julie arrives on that last day and she is surrounded by millions of people and she scans the crowd and she sees me standing there only by the skin of Christ's teeth, she is going to say on that day, God, I praise you. Just when I thought this day couldn't get any better, it did. Because here is my joy, my glory, and my crown. So it is with us. Christian, we are surrounded by silver in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our churches. When we point an unbeliever or a believer one step closer towards Jesus, we build with precious stones. And when we piddle with straw out of politeness or political correctness, that's the stuff that's going to be burned. But on that great day when we stand before God in glory and it feels like our senses are about to explode with pleasure and we scan the crowd, we will begin to recognize people who are standing near us because we will say on that day, I know that guy. 
I worked with him, and he didn't know Jesus, but when he was struggling with his marriage, I prayed with and for him. I know that girl. She was in my life group, and we challenged each other to read our Bibles. I know that neighbor. I recognize that kid that I mentored in Ezekiel. I know my children because, by God's grace, I was part of their salvation and leading them to the Lord. I know these people. And when I'm in heaven and I thought that it could not get any better, God surprises us once again with his grace because those people will be our joy and our glory and our crown. And it will all be God and it will all be grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, come and come soon. We want that day to be here, and we want it to be full of people. People that by your grace you've allowed us to rub shoulders with, to know and to point towards you. That is our joy and our crown, because it is your glory and your grace, and you give it to us for all time. Let us be a people on mission, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.